Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. And welcome to the Forecast Fest. I'm Kate Baldwin here with my colleagues back together again, John Avalon. Hola. And Harry Enden. Shalomi, my homies, we're back no. again. I just, that, that sounded very New Kids on the Block, which I am really? very in favor of. Interesting. This week, the 2020. Disturbing. I, that is like my middle name. That's Interesting true. yet disturbing, Baldwin. <laughs> this week, the 2020 field shrank as three candidates suspended their campaigns for president. We'll discuss and look into why they called it quits, why they didn't get buy-in from Democratic voters, and also what their exits mean for the rest of the field in the Democratic primary. Plus, we're going to play a little game that I'm going to call Choose Your Own Adventure, the Early States Edition. I love Choose Your Own Adventure. I know, right? Games right? are fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Especially creepy ones. Yeah. <laughs> how are the early voting contests going to unfold? And how unusual could this primary look on the other side of it? There's also a new poll out comparing Donald Trump to past Republican presidents. How does Donald Trump stack up to, let's say, Abraham Lincoln in the eyes of Republican oh. voters? <laughs> That's me with the facepalm, people. <laughs> Just wait for it. First, though, Harry, the forecast. What's happening? Well, Crystal is and I do the power rankings, as you know, and here they are. A new set, and I should point out, we actually, when we first were coming up with a list, Kamala Harris was still in the race. What um, number was she? She would have been number six. She would have been six? She would have been These six. These rankings are junk. <laughs> now you're sounding like Twitter. <laughs> I love when people pulled this ones from December of 2018 to show that you don't know what you're talking about. Right, exactly. About. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Uh, so number 10, essentially because we have no one else to put at number 10, uh, Julian Castro, <laughs> who was unranked last time. He's at 10. Tom Steyer is at nine. He's up a spot. Cory Booker at eight. Andrew Yang at seven. Mike Bloomberg, he's up three to number six. But don't I should call point, a comeback. Don't call a comeback. But I should point out there's a major difference between six and five. It's basically a first half and a bottom half with the first half having a significantly greater shot of winning the nomination. Number five, Amy Klobuchar. Number four, Bernie Sanders. Of course, he is the senator from the great state of Vermont. Number three down two spots is the senior senator from the great state of Massachusetts, Elizabeth Warren. Up one slot to number two is the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, Pete Buttigieg. And number one, the former vice president of the United States of America, Joseph Robinette Biden, Jr. Teflon Joe Biden. Teflon Joe Biden. Um, Look, I think there are just a few things that, you know, we should keep in mind as we look at this. Biden is still ahead nationally. Uh, He's the only candidate who right now is grabbing a substantial portion of the African-American vote. He's the only one with any real sort of endorsements from the party actors, those elected to Congress and governors, though he doesn't have a ton. Which could play if it goes, if the superdelegates matter. Let's start talking about that now. (laughs) (laughs) You said superdelegates. Drink. (laughs) Exactly. Contested convention. Um, but he's not ahead. In, he's not ahead in Iowa. Buddha judges and Buddha judges also moving up 
in New Hampshire as well. Of course, though, he has major problems with African-American support. So right now, this is still a pretty wide open race. That's what we I think that's what we landed on. I swear I heard you say the boomerang on TV. Yes, I did. I did. I, I, mean, I had to cross over at some point. I couldn't just keep it to ourselves. <laughs> I couldn't just keep it to the like, no, There's also inside. the Biden backup lane, which I'll be doing a lot uh, oh, coming forward. Yeah. Okay, so focusing on real stuff, <laughs> even though that's it's so real. real. It it's is totally so real. real. It's so real. It's so real. Well, where's Deval Patrick on this? Yeah, Deval Patrick, uh, he has as much support to get on this list as he did uh, people that came to his Morehouse College um, uh, it was a rally. scheduling conflict. Too it was, soon. It was a scheduling yeah. conflict. It was a scheduling conflict. Let's be nice. Okay, so Warren, there's this whole thing, right? Warren fading, Bernie Sanders so well holding. <laughs> there's a whole thing. Something happened, has happened to Elizabeth Warren, right? Yes. What is it? She was surging in October. What is your guess on what is behind the, even if it's momentary, the fade? Uh, I think there are a few things that are behind it. Number one, this is a pattern that we've seen in past primaries. You get essentially discovered. Then essentially there's an examination of the record. And then oftentimes that's followed by a decline. We saw that in the 2012 campaign with the Republicans. We've seen that even with some of the candidates this time around, whether it be Kamala Harris, whether earlier on Pete Buttigieg, who may be on the rise right now, he also went through a rise and decline back in April, um, May of this year. So I think that's part of it. I think the other thing that's a key part of it was she became tied to Medicare for all. Uh, and right. That, the fade kind of coincides with around the time of when people time. were really starting to focus on that, right? Yeah. I, I would say that's definitely part of it. She became tied to Medicare for all. And the fact is, is that is the less of the two popular positions with the public option, a Democratic primary. And it doesn't pull well with the general electorate. Right. As, as we have been pointing out and you've been pointing out since the very beginning, what's a little bit bizarre to me is – it's not that she was first out on Medicare for all. Bernie Sanders has been in favor of it forever. She's been saying she's in favor of it forever. Even Kamala Harris got in some of her first big trouble seeming to back it before she had a, a muddled position. We'll get to Kamala in a second, I imagine. Um, she put out a plan, and the plan really highlighted what most of us knew to be true, which is that it's really expensive, probably unworkable, and not terribly popular. Yeah, when, when, I'm going I'm to say it again. When Go you're on. requiring comprehensive immigration reform in order to foot the bill for your plan— I don't know if that's going to happen. Yeah, and I don't know if that level of detail was what turned folks off it. I think right. there was also just a confrontation with the, the 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 challenging fact that Elizabeth Warren as a national candidate didn't stack up too terribly well with Donald Trump. Now she's still got a lot of base support, and and you shouldn't count anybody out at this point. But that fade is 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 noticeable. Is there an argument to be made that the the that the, the Warren fade has nothing to do with Sanders? Has everything to be do with Pete? I, I think that there is certainly the case that Pete Buttigieg and Elizabeth Warren both do well in the white college educated lane. And, you know, those jumps, the, the jump in Buttigieg has certainly coincided with the decline in Warren. But in our Iowa poll, we did see that uh, back in September, Warren was leading among uh, Sanders 2016 caucus goers. Um, but now Sanders has jumped back in a lead with that group. We saw that Sanders was behind Warren among very liberal caucus goers. Dude, he back bounced back September. after a heart attack. Yeah, it was pretty impressive. And I don't bounce think we back sh- after a heart attack. I mean, that's like that's a great song title. Or like bumper sticker, that man. That too. That's a. T- I had a heart attack. I'm still beating people. A tough sob. <laughs> Uh, Maybe not something you want to highlight over and over again, but I'm telling you. I mean, like, up to a point, though. But, like— Especially the rhyming one you did, did the jump. I like that. It was good. Know, yeah, I, it was I good. don't think we should lose track of the fact that Bernie Sanders is holding in the mid-teens. I believe that we have done 10 polls since the beginning of, uh, since the beginning of this presidential cycle. Bernie Sanders has been at 16 percent 
plus or minus two in nine of those 10 polls. And the only one he wasn't at, he was at 19 percent within three points of that 16 percent. So he has a very solid base within the Democratic primary. Not very big. But not very big. But right now in a very divided field, that's good enough for holding on and being a player in this primary. So and and let's talk about the early portion of the primary, which is now upon us. Oh, is this the Choose Your Own Adventure part? Yes. So buckle up. It's game time. So excited. Two months away from when voters are going to start having their say. But with a field, as you're pointing out, still so big and still so fluid in the top tier, there's more and more talk that it could be anything but certain on who's ahead, who really has the momentum, who is the quote unquote front runner when they wrap up the first four nominating contests. So let's walk through let's walk through some potential scenarios just for fun for how the early state voting could unfold. Mm. Like one one possible scenario is let's do this one. Buttigieg wins Iowa because he's ahead there right now. Mm-hmm. And then let's say Sanders wins New Hampshire and Nevada. What happens? What does that mean? Um, Just play it. Point of order here? Yeah. Who wins South Carolina in this scenario? Because no. no, 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 no. We have, we, we have these so first three. So then who wins, wins South, South Carolina? Carolina. Right. Then well, it's easy if we give for, you who First South of all, I, 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 would, I would probably do it. Okay. okay. We're going we're gonna, we're gonna to find. We're going to do your one scenario. Time. I'm just going to say this one time. When I name the game, I set the rules. <laughs> John, you can do it next Fine. week. I all threw right. out a scenario. It's not the one you wanted to start no, with. it's not. Because no. don't do the obvious scenario oh, yeah. first. It's what boring. if? Okay, starting anew. One person wins Iowa. A different person wins New Hampshire. And a different person still wow. wins Nevada. Three um, different people win a, the first three contests. A, theoretically, a fourth different person is named it, Joe Biden could win South Carolina. And is that the best case scenario for Joe Biden then? It's not, but I think you got to look. I, I think I think there's a lot of to the one place or show out of Iowa and New Hampshire. I, I do think this is the one time you could see us not knowing who the clear front runner is until Super Tuesday, and by then the next morning we'll have a much better sense. Not a nominee, but we'll have a much better sense of where it really is. Do you want to go back to the scenarios? Because John Avalon doesn't want to do scenarios. No, I do. I really do. No, he just wants to do the scenarios. He wants to do. Ah. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, so look, okay. Okay. To, <laughs> to answer the question that was posed, thank you. Buttigieg wins Iowa, <laughs> then Sanders wins New Hampshire and Nevada. I think that that is a disaster for the Democratic um, establishment. Uh, I think that's the first thing that's out of the gate. Um, Bernie Sanders winning New Hampshire and Nevada. And keep in mind, folks, he is well regarded among African American voters. He is. His favorable ratings are second best in the field among them. They are in the 70s with them. You then go into South Carolina with Joe Biden not having won a state, Sanders having won two states. And that is a scenario that is one of the better scenarios in which Sanders could win a nomination. And Buttigieg, despite winning Iowa in that situation, I don't think necessarily has much of a foothold on the nomination because you've just gone and lost in the first caucus state that actually has a diverse population that isn't vast majority white. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's a pretty good scenario for Sanders. I think it's a disastrous one for Warren. I don't think it's a particularly good one for Biden. One could make the argument it's not a bad one for Bloomberg, especially if then a different candidate goes on to win South Carolina. Can I just press that point? So are you saying that uh, in that scenario that Bernie Sanders could win South Carolina? Absolutely. Okay. I just want to be on the record. Bernie Sanders can win South Carolina 
Harry in the forecast. I, he, he could win South if Carolina. If this I'm not scenario he plays will. out, okay, right. another scenario. I'm starting with Harry because he actually follows rules, which is actually is like remarkable. <laughs> no, this is, is a, he's on the record saying Bernie Sanders. This is a clear role reversal. I'm very, uh, very uncomfortable. Okay, so Warren wins Iowa. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sanders wins New Hampshire. Biden wins Nevada. And then what? I think that this is probably a good scenario for Biden, right? Um, because mm-hmm. he's shown that he because his worst scenario is someone wins the first two, right? The, the same person, right? Like, the, that's ex- okay. right. Someone wins the first two. Someone wins the first three. Yeah, yeah. Right? right. As long as Biden has a win under his belt going into South Carolina, <laughs> I think that he's probably able to hold on to that black base in that state, and then he's won. Two out of four of the early contests. Then the campaign goes national where Biden clearly does hold an edge. Uh, He will have to contend with Bloomberg. But if Biden has won 50 percent of the early contests, then there's probably not much of an argument to be made for Bloomberg. Because flip side is, isn't it, if he doesn't win one of the early contests, even though he can stay in the race, doesn't the electability argument that is a large part of what he has based, look at his launch video, Remember mm-hmm. where his campaign began. That's largely what his campaign is based on. How can the electability argument be made if you cannot win Iowa? You cannot – if you do not win Iowa, you do not win New Hampshire. And you don't win Nevada. And, and if you don't win Nevada. Right. I, I mean I think it's very Elective, hard to make it. I, I, that's we, like – that's we're going to see like a Biden 2.0 reset we, pre-South we, Carolina. We saw in 2004 – on the eve of the Iowa caucuses that Howard Dean was deemed in the national polls as being the most electable Democrat. Howard Dean lost Iowa, then lost New Hampshire, and overnight John Kerry became the quote-unquote more electable candidate according to the Democratic primary voters. Electability is only as good as your ability to win, and that is why Biden needs to win one of the first three contests in my mind. Or, worst-case scenario, three different candidates win the first three contests and Biden comes in a second or third in all of them and then is able to win in South Carolina. But that's probably his best worst-case scenario, if that makes sense. New Hampshire is an X factor because you got two neighboring state senators, so I wouldn't count out Sanders or Warren in that state. Um, and, and you know, even in the in the Dean Kerry sense, you know, neighboring state senators, uh, and, and I think Dean's problem had to do with he became identified with too far to the left. Uh, A Warren in, problem, yeah, in in Iowa, fairly fairly or unfairly, um, but. Biden, it's also going to be a question, does he have strong showings? You know, remember in 2012, and I'd like us as the media to try to learn from our mistakes. Um, It was too close to call. Everyone ultimately called Iowa for Romney that night. Romney got a huge boost, a lot of momentum, a lot of money. Turned out Santorum had actually won the caucuses. And when you're you're that close, I, I know it's difficult to keep you know, complexity in mind, but it's a mistake to go all in on who won Iowa until we actually know who wins Iowa. Uh, and, and so the margins matter in these states, seems to me. Do you think there is a stronger than ever argument to be made right now that Iowa is not the best predictor of who should be who will be the nominee? New Hampshire is not the best predictor of who should who will be the nominee because it is not representative of the Democratic electorate. I think the argument to be made would be that if you looked at 2016, what we saw was there was a study done that actually didn't show that Iowa or New Hampshire really had too much of an impact um, on the later states. Uh, that historically so, has not been the case. So however. the reason I ask that is because if okay, then we focus in, then let's call the real first contest then South Carolina, right? Because or Nevada or Nevada. But I'm focusing on South Carolina because that's the one I looked up and wanted to research because I got into it. 
<laughs> Biden has, is what? On average, he's like plus 19 there. Yeah. So all better. of these scenarios that we're playing out, do we do folks need to just kind of not pay attention to the scenarios? Because if he's plus 19 <sighs> in South Carolina with no signs of that weakening, then if that's the new Iowa, then is that where we need to be focused in terms of predictive nature of an early primary? Well, I, look, I think the question ultimately comes down to whether or not there's a momentum effect coming out of Of Iowa. course there is. And if you look at 2008, you know, um, Barack Obama was leading among African-Americans in South Carolina by 25 points before the Iowa caucuses occurred. In the actual election day exit polls, he won that state by about, I believe, 60 points or there and so somewhere in that range. So he basically more than doubled his margin among African-Americans or doubled or more than doubled his margin among African-Americans in South Carolina. If Biden loses those that early state, then maybe then I don't I'm not sure your scenario holds if. Mm-hmm. But it may. It may. It really it, we didn't see that same momentum effect back in 2016 as we saw in 2008. So I think it's certainly plausible. Guys, momentum, of course, is going to matter. It just does. Look back at Florida, 2008, Rudy Giuliani pulling at 35 percent, head and shoulders above the competition in Florida. Didn't matter at all because you can't play the game that far out. OK. 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 I still think I'm right. I, I, Thank yeah. you for joining this edition of Choose Your Own Adventure, the early states edition. Um, <laughs> next week, it's going to be – we'll be back. Um, when we come back, the 2020 field lost three contenders this week. We'll discuss how their departures might might affect the race going forward, plus a new poll of Trump versus past Republican presidents. Trump outperforms everyone on the list with one notable exception. We're going to tell you who it is and debate it all after the break. back, friends. The Democratic presidential field remains historically large, of course, but as of this week, we have three fewer candidates running for the nomination. On Sunday, Joe Sestak, he dropped out of the race. Monday, Steve Bullock, the current governor of Montana, he dropped out of the race. Uh, Bullock saying when in dropping out that he wouldn't be able to, quote unquote, break through to the top tier of the still crowded field of candidates. The very next day, Senator Kamala Harris, a candidate who briefly surged in the polls after a very impressive and stunning early debate performance, but has also really been struggling of recent to connect um, and fundraise, she ended her 2020 bid. So where should we be? Let's start with Harris. Start with Harris Let's start with Harris. What th- went wrong, John? Well, look, I mean, when, here, here's the reality in politics. You want to find the truth, follow the money. Campaigns fold when they don't have the money. She came out of the gate incredibly strong. She had a big and fairly expensive staff, despite a round of layoffs um, a couple of months back that really hurt morale. Uh, there was a sense that it wasn't a particularly well-managed campaign. You had complaints and pretty vicious campaign complaints from ex-staffers and current staffers. But still, it's stunning because a lot of folks thought that she really brought something different to the party. Mm-hmm. She really owned the first debate and, and had a lot of excitement and enthusiasm. I think it's probably a case of an organization getting too big too fast. Um, and therefore, the burn rate is very high. And she was unable. Right, like you have candidates like Michael Bennett who are still in. Still yeah, in exactly. Hunt. Exactly. Because right. he runs lean and mean. You run, you run lean and mean. And, and, and so I think that's a real failure of, of management as well as message. That said, I think it's also the stage where you get out 
uh, and and she's hoping that she you know she's going to have a long career in the Democratic Party and is presumably going to be near the top tier of anyone's VP pick um, by getting out of this point too. You 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 get less collateral damage if you're hoping for a, to- a second. And there's pick. a deadline that was coming up at the end Correct. of the month of there was the, there was a December deadline of getting your name off of the ballot in California, which would have been a potential big embarrassment for somebody who wants to have a long career in California politics and beyond. It would have been brutal. And I think that was the other factor. Look, Kamala Harris is, was running to win the nomination. Yes. That's why she got out while someone like a Bennett who may be running a lean mean machine. Let's be real. If Michael Bennett is the nominee, then a lot of us need to find new lines of employment because no one at this point, at this at, at this stage, thinks he really has any shot of being the nominee. Uh, he has no support. He has no endor- really any endorsements, no money. She was running to win, and that's what happens. If you're running to win and you realize that you don't have the money, you decide to get out. And look, the fact is there were a number of things that went wrong with her campaign – um, not the least of which was I'm not sure she was ever sure what was the candidacy that was she was running. Was she going to try and take on the center lane? Was she going to try and uh, take off some of that left wing support? Who said it? Did one of you guys say it, that she Goldilocks this she, nomination? Right. She was trying to. Yes. Uh, I said triangulate. She said Goldilocks. Yeah, right. I like that. Trying to Goldilocks the nomination. And it just didn't end up working because she satisfied no one. Um, and from there. I think a big part of her problem was she wasn't able to get that college edu- white college educated support. And at the same time, she at first thought, hey, I'm going to go after South Carolina. I'm going to take apart Biden's support there. But Biden is leading that field by 20 or so points. And African-American voters nationwide, she's polling at about, you know, 6 percent with them versus Joe Biden polling at about 49 percent. So. Some of the immediate fallout from that, let me read a quote from – it was in the New York Times from the executive director of Indivisible, a national progressive group in – kind of really hitting the nail on the head. No matter your candidate, you have to recognize that going from the most diverse field ever in January to a potentially all-white debate stage in December is catastrophic. Yeah. And that's the, that's potentially some of the immediate fallout here. Yeah. And, and here's the peculiar thing, right? It's been stunning to me to see that Booker has had consistently strong debate performances. The last few debates has been unable to gain traction. So is it all – does that speak to campaign organization as well? Uh, look, he like, actually I has a – look, I mean in South Carolina, Cory Booker actually hired some great operatives and it hasn't been able to convert. And I think part of it is is that Biden really has had a lock on, on the African-American basis support. Uh, Booker and Harris weren't able to really break into that. Um, but it's a bigger problem than that. I, I continue to be one of the mysteries of this campaign why Booker has not been able to convert um, because he's a good retail campaigner. Um, and, and he's he's a great order and he's he's done very well in debates, but it just hasn't happened for him yet. I wonder if this will create an opening. I don't think there's any reason to bet on that, but there's a possibility that this could be the break he needs to, to stand out. So if that is uh, one mystery of the campaign so far, here's another one. We have Steve Bullock. We have talked about this often between the three of us, and I'm not saying we're the only ones, but we've definitely talked about it with each other. He had something of the secret sauce, folks. He is a governor, a Democratic governor who won, the only governor in the race who won in a state that Trump won. Trump didn't only win it. Trump won Montana big, like plus 20. That's right. And Steve Bullock wins by four. That means there is a 24-point spread that he was able to cover in terms of appealing to Republicans and independents who voted for Donald Trump. So why didn't Democratic voters 
think he was the guy then that could beat Trump? Look, first thing is, I think I think a lot of this is on Bullock for getting in late. You know, he was trying to finish his budget, so he got in late. But I, I but you know, part of the process was like working on expanding Medicaid, wasn't it? Like it was like a real. Yeah, he was doing real stuff, and governors always do. And this was Mario, recent Mario Cuomo why? had a jet waiting on the tarmac guys, in 1992. Me, I, I really want to know but, this, but why is getting in a race late so crippling? Biden got in. What, okay, Bullock gets in May 14th of 2019 this year. Nice Biden time. got in April 25th. Difference being, of course, that Biden's a nationally known figure. Steve Bullock is not. He hadn't necessarily been okay. doing things to raise his profile. East Coast versus West Coast in terms of of, of people's arena. But it is a huge problem and a big mistake that this Democratic field doesn't have a single governor left on the stage, let alone one who won in red state, who was actually excellent on a lot of the core issues, money and politics and guns that Democrats really care about. It is a problem. It's partly of his own making. uh, And it becomes self-fulfilling when you haven't been able to get on a debate stage since Detroit. Uh, But it is a real loss for the Democratic field, the Democratic Party, that they don't have his voice on the stage. Yeah, I think you hit it right on the head. I, I basically oh, went thanks, back man. through time. I think he was talking to me. Um, <laughs> I was talking to everyone. Uh, went back through time and essentially looked at when nominees got in the race, whether that be uh, filing with the FEC or formally announcing. And you mentioned what was the date that Bullock uh, got in? May 14th. May 14th. On my list here of every nominee since 1972 – only two got in later than that. One huh? was Bill Clinton in 1992. He announced on August 6th. Uh, he formed an exploratory committee on August 16th, 1991. Um, and the other one was Ronald Reagan, who got in or at least started raising money on May 18th, 1979, which is right around when a Bullock got in, in in terms of the calendar. Mm-hmm. Reagan had run for the nomination previously. He was a nationally known figure. And Clinton actually got in earlier than the average candidate that cycle because that was a very late forming field with Bush being so popular as president. Historically speaking, if you get in and you end up being the nominee, you tend to get in earlier than the average uh, candidate that cycle. And you almost always get in before Bullock actually declared his candidacy. It could be that the field is sort of forming, that the press is limited, and therefore you want to get in later. And that's especially the case for someone like Bullock, who simply put, was not well known. It's been fun to cover you both, all three of you, including you, Joe Sestak. Um, <laughs> That's Admiral Joe th- Sestak th- to you. Th- thanks for thanks for <laughs> thanks for playing the game. Uh, okay, let's switch gears uh, from folks trying to win the presidency to previous occupants of the White House. So it's a new <sighs> economist you got. Well, I've been waiting to hear God. your exasperation. I really have. Um, prepare for the sighing. Uh, it's an economist YouGov poll, and it asked Republicans to compare past Republican presidents to Donald Trump. A majority, 59 percent of Republicans, believe Ronald Reagan was a better president than the current uh, president. But every other Republican president polled lost to Donald Trump, including Abraham Lincoln. Trump beat Lincoln in the eyes of current Republicans. Yeah. 53 to 47. John? Come on, man. I don't even know what to do about this except to say we need remedial American history (laughs) ASAP. And look, this is partly they stand about a for cult the same things, John. Yeah, they so do. It's they the do. same party. No, not at a all. A house divided against itself cannot stand. Versus, I'd like to divide the house and light it on fire. Oh, look, right. Um, look, look. Reagan was a, a good president. Obviously, very popular with Republicans as a leader of the conservative movement and within living memory. This poll is interesting to the extent to which 
you know, the Bushes are, you know, seen positively uh, compared to Donald Trump by only 29 percent of the Republican field. But the extent you've got Abraham Lincoln, the first elected Republican in the party of Lincoln, who saw our nation through the Civil War, who's usually rated as the greatest president of all time and is internationally known as being one of the greatest leaders in human history. To say that Donald Trump is a better president than Abraham Lincoln is basically to wave your hand and say that you don't know anything about anything. <laughs> it is it is a, a, a reflexive, know-nothing teamism, and there's no cure for that kind of stupid. Okay, I have a theory. I have Go a theory on. that John is not, please. I have a theory. I'd love to hear you. I have theory. a theory. When... People, when people are polled on questions like this that I find very interesting— They put on a troll mask? Yes, I think they're punking the pollsters. I mean, that's one explanation is that it's just a troll max or a reflexive F you. I, I, that's, I'm like, that's the only explanation I But even that's up. doubling down on dumb. I don't even know what the <laughs> No, is. this is— some, uh, All right, what uh, do you uh, think, Harry? All right, let me—I'm let me, let me, going to give you some real talk. Uh, oh, really? Because real what talk. we've been spouting is nonsense. total— So— on. So— <laughs> I think Kate is right that there's definitely this Thank case, you, you know, I, someone who's in my life always says, ask stupid question, win stupid prizes. Um, this is not a question. So I, you didn't, you didn't grow mean? up under the moniker of there's no there's no such thing as a stupid question. Uh, certainly she doesn't. The person who <laughs> phrases that to me all the time. Um, that is, Who's that? <laughs> you know, or is it play stupid games, win stupid prizes in any event? Um, like that that makes more sense. Like that probably. I like where we're so. Look, this is a question that most people probably don't really think very much about because who the heck, you know, oh, yeah, da, 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 da. Um, so I think that's part of what it. What was that? It was his version of yada, yada, yada. Yada, Continue. yada, yada. Okay, okay, thank, you. Um, thank you for trying. Two, we've seen this before, right, where sometimes it's essentially a question that tries to get at um, partisan allegiance. And when you hear something like that, you're trying to take basically take a shift to the pollsters. Um, three, I think there's a recency bias to it. And I think that this is rather yeah. important. So YouGov back in 2018 asked a slightly different question in which they essentially said, who is the best president in U.S. history? And you could name whomever you wanted to, right? And among Democrats, number one with 33 percent was Barack Obama. He beat out FDR, who only had 14 percent. He beat out Abraham Lincoln, who only had 15 percent. He also beat out John Kennedy, who always ranks highest in these at 10 percent. Now, I know that at least in historians' minds, Barack Obama is thought of to be a better president than Donald Trump if you look at those scholarly rankings. But if you also look at those scholarly rankings— I don't think rankings, what you just said 50% of America believe, agrees with. Right. Well, but the scholars do. If you look— Liberals. Liberals, well, maybe so. I, I will say Obama is dramatically more respected and popular than Donald Trump nationally. Respect is not what this and what popularity. people base it on anymore. But, but, popularity. But, but, but the point is, the point is, is that most people, most historians would agree— that Lincoln was probably a better president than Obama, that FDR was probably a better president than Obama. And among Democrats, Obama was beating both of them handily in this poll. So I think recency bias, partisan bias. I think that both of those are definitely a play here. I'm not saying that, you know, Trump doesn't have a, you know, sort of a, a hold on the Republican base that's unusual for a president. But I'm not necessarily sure I'm in love with this question. And I think that it's a type of question that elicits a response that gets you a headline, but doesn't tell you all that much. I think it says a lot about us because 
I really enjoyed that portion of the conversation. Today. <laughs> <laughs> you just got kind of jazzed up right now. Okay, like oh, was John was like standing on his chair doing like a Tom Cruise couch thing for a second. <laughs> ah! Okay, on that note, that does it for us today. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Please make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. And while you're there, please leave us a rating. We do love a rating especially a good one. And you can always find us on Twitter in the meantime. I'm at Kate Baldwin. At John Avalon. Henrietta. At Forecaster Enten. E-N-T-E-N. And that's it. Special thanks to our team behind the scenes, Amy Eason, Lauren Moore, Raj Makija, David Toledo, and Emma Soslowski. And see you next time for another episode of the Forecast Fest. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.